You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. How many of you, like it's hard for you to get that perfect gift? I'm just telling you, it's I'm not the best gift giver in the world. Um, some people in my family um, are very difficult to buy for. Hey, man, she, my wife says she wanted jewelry. That is like, I went to the store, and the lady says, are you looking for, you know what you're looking for? I said, Lord, no. She said, is there anything I can help you with? I said, yes. I said, I am like a cat in water right now. I do not know what I'm doing. But um, some of us, are. it's just tough, right, to get the perfect gift. and then. But it's, it's good for me in that process because I know there are times whenever people get me gifts, and I keep thinking to them, do they not even know who I am? Like, what in the world is this gift, right? So when the shoe is on the other foot and you're giving a gift like that and you realize it, it's like, hmm, let's be a little more understanding. Sometimes it's just hard to, to get those, those right gifts. You know, lately I've, I've noticed that um, it's hard to know what to give people because sometimes they don't even know who they are. So I've been hanging out with uh, different people, um, some of our kids and uh, some of their friends and different ones I'm talking to. I'm realizing more and more how many people are trying to, um, as they would say, establish themselves. You know what that means? Like they're trying to create who they are, who they want to be, or who they're going to be. And so often we do this as people, we do it as organizations. We're trying to establish ourselves with a certain image. Right? Organizations, they hire ad agencies to do with their branding and their corporate messaging. Um, entertainers and professional athletes, they hire image consultants, you know, and even artists hire photographers. So entertainers hire photographers to follow them around uh, and take pictures of their lives and chronicle their lives so that people can see them as authentic and real and they can see that the, what people don't want them to just see them on a stage, but they want them to see who they are. And so everybody's trying to establish themselves as who they are. And we see it a lot on social media as well. Um, but so much of that is really not about identity. It's more about image. And it's more about image because most people don't really have a clear sense of identity. We don't really know who we are. So I want to give some credit this morning. So I told some of you uh, last week, so if you're here, this is your first Sunday. Let me just tell you, and I'll extend this to you. I told the, the congregation last week that um, uh, we're going to be preaching a sermon that's just for this 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 uh, congregation. Um, every congregation has someone speaking on its campus, and it's not the same across all campuses today, which it normally is. This is something that the Lord laid on my heart. And I told you last week, uh, if you were here, that if you've ever heard a sermon preached on on identity out of the book of Daniel, and if, after you've heard me preach it, come to me after this service today, and I will take you to lunch today. Okay? That's good for everybody in the room. Because I've never heard this in all my life. Seriously. What, I'm gonna, what I want to share with you today, and I have to give credit. So some of you know that I'm in the process of getting my master's. And this summer, I had the privilege, um, I'm getting it from Life Pacific, which is what our Foursquare College, and I actually had the privilege to sit in a room with a, uh, a guy named Dr. Mark Laberton. He's actually the dean of Fuller Theological Seminary, and I and 21 other students got to spend an entire day with him just talking, conversation. And it was in the midst of those conversations 
that the Lord just sparked something in me. I don't know how you are, but sometimes the Lord just sparks a thought and then it's like I just I can't get away from it. I don't fully know what he's saying yet. I don't fully understand the, the magnitude of it for a while. But I just keep listening and keep trying to understand, Lord, what do you want to say to me out of this? What do you want to say? And so it was out of that conversation that I went back to the book of Daniel and, um, and I was inspired to share with you what I'm going to share today. So for 50 years, over 50 years of my life, I've always thought that the book of Daniel was not about eating the king's food, or uh, I thought it was about Daniel revealing dreams. I thought it was about a fiery furnace. I thought it was about the handwriting on the wall, and I thought it was about a lion's den. That's what I've thought that the book of Daniel was about. And the last half is about a lot of prophecies that were to come, and that's what I've always thought thought it was about. But thanks to Dr. Mark Laberton and this conversation that he and I had, um, I've come to realize that it's different. And so what I'm going to give to you today, one day I believe that I will preach uh, an in-depth sermon series, an elongated sermon series on this. But today I'm trying to summarize uh, my thoughts. And so I want to start today in the book of Daniel with Daniel chapter 1. And it says this in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. And they put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered the chief of the court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those chosen were from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he named him Belshazzar. To Hananiah, he named him Shadrach. To Mishael, he renamed him Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told him, says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my lord the king who's assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than all the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. I want to start here this morning and let you begin to see some things, and then we're going to walk through some sections of Daniel. So first, we see that in the first few verses that King Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem and he captures it, okay? So he captures it. Sometimes what happens when a conquering king would come is he would come and he would capture a a group of people and he would obliterate the entire royal family, and all the nobility. He would kill them all so that there's no line of succession, no former leadership, and he doesn't have to deal with it, and he just takes control. But sometimes, especially when you're building an empire, what they would do was they would come in and kill off a few at the top, 
And then they would take some people who had an aptitude and they would place them in positions of leadership. And so in that, and we see that with the Romans, that's exactly what the Roman government did, is they couldn't, they couldn't rule the whole mass empire. So what they did is they come in, they kill a few people, and they pick someone to put them in leadership, and now they're leading under them. And that's basically what King Nebuchadnezzar was uh, looking to do. So it says that he took some of these Israelite royal family, the ones that he didn't kill, and nobility, and he took them back to Babylon. And so though they were living in Babylon and captive, they're living essentially a good life in reality. So they were selected because they were strong and smart and good looking. They were given new names. They were educated on a full ride scholarship at Babylon University, right? Language and literature is what they're studying. They were eating choice food and wine from the king's table. And what's even more is that they have a promise of an amazing job at the end of their education. How many of us would like that kind of a ride? Yes. So it's really easy, though, with all this going on, for you to begin to feel and to think, even though you're captive, to begin to think that, hey, I'm somebody. I'm somebody important. I deserve this special treatment. I should take advantage of uh, not just the learning, but all these amazing benefits. And as my dad say, just live high on the hog. But in verse 8, Daniel decides not to defile himself with the king's food. Why? Because it's the one thing that violated God's law. Of everything else that's been laid out, this is the one thing that violates God's law. But why wouldn't he do it anyway? You're in a captive land, right? They've carted you off. Why don't you just keep your head down, do what you're told, and and be about the business, right? How many of us have worked in places where you just felt like you're supposed to just keep your head down, do what you were told, follow the thing, follow the program? I believe that Daniel couldn't do it because, not of the law, but because of his identity. See, I believe that Daniel had a true understanding of what his identity was. He knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. And because he had a clear sense of identity, he couldn't just do what they said do even though he's a captive see Daniel was essentially well first off let me put this have this for your notes oh by the way if you haven't noticed um, we are fully confusing you today we have no notes for you there are no blanks you have to take your own notes Lord forbid you have a blank piece of paper and you have to write something on it (laughs) I will try to tell you when there are really good points for you to take down But when you have a clear identity, you will know who you are and you will know whose you are. Daniel is essentially saying this. You can take me far away from home. You can change my name. You can change my language. You can change everything about the way that I live. And you can do all of that. But at the end of the day, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And that's what matters. Dr. Sam Rockwell is one of our um, four-square superintendents. He is a superintendent out in one of our western districts. 
And he said this recently in a conversation that he and I had. Identity is who you think you are. Image is what you want others to think you are. And reputation is what others really think you are. See, there's a difference in those three. Remember earlier when I said that I don't think that people have a truly clear sense of identity? So what happens when you have a vacuum of actual identity is that you begin to attempt to project an image of what you want other people to think you are, or you try to live according to a reputation of what other people think you are. Do you see the the challenges with those two? Neither one of those is your true identity. What I want to talk to you this morning is I would tell you that the book of Daniel is about identity. It's about Daniel and his friends knowing who they are and whose they are. But even more than that, I think it shows to us the benefits and what God does in the process when we live according to who we are and whose we are. So I want to talk to you this morning about the benefits of having a clear identity. The first one, this is one of those points you can write down, is that if you have a clear identity, God shows you favor. So Daniel and his three friends, they participate in a little Food Network pilot program. When this 10-day test is over, it says in verse 15 of chapter 1, they looked healthier and better nourished than all the young men who ate from the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and gave them and they were given, uh, take away, took away their, their choice food and wine and gave them vegetables instead. So here's your favorite part, though. In verse 17, it says, To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of time, by the, set by the king, which we, we know was three years, um, that the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked to them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better. This is what the word says. Ten times better than all the other magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So a second benefit is this is that God reveals things that others can't understand. When you and I have a clear understanding of our identity, I believe that God has a person that he can reveal things that other people can't understand. In chapter 2 of Daniel, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he has some doubts about these magicians and the sorcerers and astrologers that he has, and that's who they would take their dreams to for interpretation. But he has this dream, it's got him a little upset, and so he decides that he wants to test them. So he, for the first time, says, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is, you got to tell me. And if you can't, you die. That's a pretty good test. That's a pretty serious test. But the problem is, nobody can interpret it. And so that's why they come looking for Daniel. Because the king says, if, if nobody can interpret them, then I don't trust any of these voices around me. I'm going to eliminate all of them. And so they come looking for Daniel. Well, he hasn't even had a chance. And so he's like, what's up? They tell him. And he says, well, I need some time. Will you give me a day or so? 
And so he begins to do what? Fast and pray so that he could hear. And he's smart enough that he says to his friends, boys, our lives are on the line. I need you to fast and pray. We need to do this together. And so the four of them began to fast and pray that God would show them what the king's dream was. And so he does. He shows it to Daniel. So Daniel um, has this one chance at life. And he's trusting. He's trusting of God because he knows who he is and he knows whose he is. I believe that when you have a clear identity, you know where true wisdom and answers come from. So God shows Daniel everything, and he not only shows him everything, but he literally shows him where the king was when he had the dream and what was going on around him. Then he tells him the dream, and then he tells him what the dream means. So he's supposed to just come up with the dream and the meaning. That just coming up with the dream alone will, will let him keep him alive. God goes way above that. He says, you tell him this. This is where he was when he had the dream. And so he tells him the dream, the interpretation. And then verse 46 of chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, it says this, falls prostrate before Daniel, lays down on his face prostrate before Daniel. And he says to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealers of mysteries. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the royal court. So Daniel gets placed in this really high position, and Nebuchadnezzar just he says god is god your god is god he's a god over all the gods now that doesn't mean necessarily he gets everything because in chapter three he's still a little dim the king nebuchadnezzar is in chapter three king nebuchadnezzar gets this wise idea because the dream was about a, a statue and the golden head was nebuchadnezzar and he's like well i should probably build this statue i think maybe i should and and have people worship me and so he builds this statue the way that he saw it and he decides that people are going to worship it and um and so when they set it up they set it up in the out in the out in babylon where he saw it so you got to realize daniel's in the royal court he sets it up in babylon and he calls together all the wise men that are serving in babylon which includes shadrach meshach and abednego and he basically tells everybody, when you hear this sound, when you hear the, 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 the trumpets and everything, everybody's supposed to bow down and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a clear identity. They knew who they were, and they knew whose they were. And so when it came time, they didn't. They didn't bow. They didn't worship. They didn't do anything. Well... Some of the other people who didn't like the fact that they got placed over them said, this is a really good time. We're going to get these guys out of here. So they go and tattle. They basically go and tell the king, hey, they didn't bow. And he comes and he tries to talk to them first. And they just tell him we can't bow in the process of it. And he says, well, this is the punishment. You, you'll die. And he's like, regardless of whatever happens, 
Even if our God doesn't save us, we can't bow. That's identity. Because they knew who they were, and they knew whose they were. And even if whose they were didn't save them, they weren't going to bow. That's a clear identity. And so because of that, um, they had this problem. See, the thing was, is they knew what the Torah said. They knew what the Ten Commandments said. They knew that Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. They knew that verse 4 says that you shall not make an image of yourself in any form or anything. They knew that. And so they decided that they weren't. When you have a clear identity, you know when to worship and you know to when to remain standing. And so you won't worship anything else or any, anyone else. So they're thrown into the, in the furnace. We all know the story of the fiery furnace. They're thrown into the furnace. And the king says, look, in verse 25, he says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth man looks like the son of the gods. He didn't know who he was, but he knew he wasn't no man. He knew he was something different. And so the king is overwhelmed, and this is what he says. It says that he praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, that sounds a lot like when they used to say, and I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they knew who they were. And here's this king, right, again, saying Daniel king is the king of all kings. Now he's got Shadrach and Meshach, and he's saying, this is, and so he says this. It says that he made a decree that anything against the God of Shadrach, anyone who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their house be turned into piles of rubble. So he's basically laid down a gauntlet. You can't do anything against and say anything about these guys' God. He hasn't serving serving him, but he's basically laid down a gauntlet. Another benefit to to having a clear identity is found in chapter 4. And so God moves, and this is what the benefit is, God moves people, when we have a clear identity, God will move people from darkness into light. When I know who I am and I know whose I am, it is so starkly different than everybody around us who's looking to establish themselves, is either trying to live out an image or live up to a reputation. It is so different when we have a clear identity of who we are that it makes people question. It makes people curious. And what happens is, is in the process, people begin to move from darkness into light. Do you understand that? Are you with me? So number four, God moves people from darkness into light. So in this chapter, interesting thing, in Daniel chapter four, the chapter is not written by Daniel. There's a guest author in chapter four. Chapter four of the book of Daniel is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar. It begins, it says, I, King King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and the peoples of every language who live on the earth, may you prosper greatly. He says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God has performed for me. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, he's, he's getting it, right? You think he's gotten it completely, but he doesn't yet. He does at the time he's writing it. So you, it looks like he's content and happy and, and prosperous. In the South, we call that fat and happy. 
He has a dream, though, and it creates fear in him. And so in chapter 4, verse 5, he has this dream. And, chapter, and then it says that he calls together again the wise men of his group, which is magicians and sorcerers and enchanters and all that kind of stuff. And he says, I need to know what this dream means again. And again, guess what? They can't tell him. They don't understand it. They don't know what it means. So just like in chapter 2, uh, they're still waiting. And Daniel, again, shows up fashionably late. He's really good at that, by the way. He shows up after everyone else proves they can't do it, and he comes in, shows up fashionably late. It says that the king was happy that he was there because he says, literally, he says, if anybody can tell me, you can tell me. That's what the king told him. And so Daniel um, is told the dream, but here's the problem. He's troubled by its meaning, and so there's like a hesitancy in, in him for just a second. And the king says, what's up? And he says, he says, I wish I had a different interpretation. I, I don't really even like the interpretation that I have. But the king's going to get humbled, basically, is what he tells him. He says he, the, the king is about to get humbled. Daniel had a clear identity, so he could deliver a message like that because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. And so he could do that. See, when you have a clear identity, you can share anything. You can share the truth with compassion and you can do it without compromising anything. Because the king, uh, fortunately, was still pretty arrogant and pretty self-absorbed, God tells him that you're going to go mad for seven years. And in that process, you're going to run around like a wild animal. You're, you're going to grow your fingernails out. You're going to grow fur and hair. And you're going to be crazy for seven years. But then one day, you're going to come to your senses and you're going to declare that God is God for yourself not as to what he does but for yourself and when you do you'll be put back in your right mind and Daniel says king would you repent like would you repent would you do something compassionate for all the people in your kingdom you can let's see if we can stop this like Daniel didn't want to like he didn't want to necessarily give this and he didn't really want to see anybody much less the king go through this so he's trying to get him the king just basically says no nah, I'm going to pass on that one and so what happens is, is that everything that Daniel said comes to pass. And for seven years, it says that he roams around like a wild animal. He grew out his hair like fur. But one day, he comes to himself and he declares, God is God. He is the king over all. And then he came back to himself. So he moved from darkness into light because of a clear sense of identity that the person around him had. And verse 37 of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. See, at this point, he had come to his own understanding of identity because he had moved from darkness into light. And that's what identity, a true, clear identity, does for us. Fifth benefit is God raises you up when others are getting demoted. How many people want to go up rather than demotions? I'm all for promotions and not demotions. Chapter 5 tells us that at the end of um, Belshazzar reigns, um, it, it, chapter 5 tells us about the end of Belshazzar his reign. So let me fill you in. Between King, when King Nebuchadnezzar finally dies, and it's somewhere between chapter four and chapter five, 
he dies. In that period of time, there's 10 years and four leaders in, um, in Babylon. After those four leaders, the fifth leader that comes after him is his grandson, Belshazzar. Belshazzar leads Babylon at that point for 14 years. And at the end of those 14 years, so this is a 24-year span between the end of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 and what is becoming the end of his grandson in chapter 5. So at the end of that time, Belshazzar throws a feast and he calls in and he calls for all the golden goblets and serving dishes and all the things found in the temple of the Israelites he brings them in for a big party. He's throwing a big party. I don't know if 14 is a big big year for throwing parties when you're a king, but nonetheless, he's throwing a big one. And he needs these golden goblets, he thinks, so that he and his wife and his friends and all of his concubines can all drink out of them. And so they're going to take these things that were once holy and dedicated to the Lord, and they've actually been sitting up on a shelf for well over 40 years and he's going to pull them out to misuse them and he knows it that's the other thing is it talks about in the book of daniel that he knows it but so he's so they're all drinking from this these goblets and all of a sudden in the room like this on a on a wall a hand appears and begins to write on the wall you ever wanted to know where that saying the Do you understand the handwriting on the wall? This is where it came from. It came from Daniel chapter 5, right? And so this, it writes an inscription in a language that no one there can speak. And so they're all freaked out and afraid because this hand literally appears to everybody in there. And they don't know what it says. And so they start trying to figure out, they call in all the people to interpret it. Nobody knows And so finally somebody remembers, oh, it seems like about 24 years ago there was this guy that your your grandfather used to use, Daniel, I think was his name. And so they call him in, and by this time he's so freaked out, the king is so freaked out, Belshazzar is so freaked out that he says, listen, if you can interpret this, I will make you third in the kingdom and I will do all these other things for you. But Daniel has a clear identity of whose he is and who he is. And he basically says to him, he says, "Uh, you can keep all your stuff and your promotions. I don't need it and I don't want it. So Daniel interprets the writing and he tells them what God has determined. And so basically this is what it meant. Many, many Tarkopinsums, I think, parsums is what it says. And basically it meant that God has determined that your kingdom is over and he is stripping it from you and giving it to someone else. And so, like, that's what you're going to interpret for this king who's brought you in. But here's the deal. When you have a clear identity, you don't fear saying whatever God tells you to say. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or what you are. It took me years to get to this point of where I got to a point where I, I, I'll say it nicely, but I, but if the Lord tells me to say something, I'll say it because I know who I am and I know whose I am. And this is not, this is not an easy necessarily thing, 
But I'm telling you, at some point, when we have a clear identity, we can say whatever God says and be confident in it. But the interesting thing is the king is still true to his word. It says that he he called people in, said Daniel's now third in the kingdom. He's he's no he's number three. And here's all the other things we want to give him, so would you go and, and reward him in all these ways? And here's the crazy thing was, is it says that that very night that the king was assassinated and that Darius, the Mede, came in and took the kingdom. I think Darius, the way it looks like, there wasn't like a siege of the city. It's like someone from within Darius's group came in and assassinated Belshazzar and Darius basically just rode in and took over everything. So it's interesting. And this is the point that we said, this is the benefit. So when everybody else is going down, when those around you are going down, you're being promoted. Interesting thing was, it's the same process. Instead of killing everybody, they took out the top two and they took number three and said, you're in charge. So now Daniel's in charge of everything again. That's just crazy to me that he keeps getting placed over everything. But again, he had a clear identity. He knew who he was and he knew whose he was and he wasn't going to shift from that. Here's the last benefit. The last benefit of a clear identity that we find in the book of Daniel is that God will guard you and he will turn the tables on those who falsely oppose you or falsely accuse you. So in chapter 6, Darius the Mede, he takes over after Belshazzar. Daniel is placed as one of the three leaders over the entire kingdom. And it says that Daniel quickly is, has the, the favor of the king again. Listen, when your life, when you clearly have a clear understanding of who you are and whose you are, then... We said at the first point that God gives you favor. And so here he is. God's giving him favor again. And he distinguishes himself as what it says among everyone. And so the king decides pretty quickly, I really like this guy, Daniel. In fact, I'm not going to just make him one of the top three. I'm going to make him the top one. And so he decides that. Well, then everybody else gets their nose bent out of shape about that. And he's like, we've got to deal with this guy again. We've got to like remove him. Somehow we've got to get this guy out of here because the other people that were placed over the kingdom were hometown boys, right? They wanted to rule their own people, not this Hebrew who keeps rising to the top. And so they come up with a plan. They concoct this plan. What we'll do is we'll get the king to make a law that says no one can pray to anything or anyone else except for the king for 30 days. And if they do, it's death. And that'll take care of Daniel. And so what does Daniel do? He finds out that they made this law. And Daniel, because he's really clear, because he knows who he is and he knows who he is, he doesn't change a single thing. Not a single thing. The word says that every day he would still go to his house and three times a day he would open up his window and he would pray to the Lord. Why? Because he had a clear identity. He knew who he was and he knew whose he was. See, when you have a clear identity, you can keep your routines with God regardless of what the opposition is because we know where we stand. 
So the other rulers, they actually, their plan worked in a sense. They caught him praying, and they knew they would. And so the legal punishment is death. So they go to the king. And the problem is the king really loves Daniel. And so the king begins to drag his feet and so all day long the king is dragging his feet trying to figure out a way out of this but he doesn't have a way because the law they created is a law that has to be followed and so ultimately the king has to abide by his own law and he puts Daniel in the lion's den and they put the lid on top of it so that no one can get out or no one can get in to help him but the interesting thing is as even though this is not the king who saw the handwriting on the wall, and even though this is not the king who went mad, and this is not the king who dealt with the fiery furnace, God has already distinguished Daniel again to such a way that this king loves Daniel and knows there's something seriously different about him. And the word says that the king couldn't sleep all night. He could not sleep because of what was happening down in the lion's den next morning he runs he runs to the lion's den and he yells down and Daniel says don't worry king I'm right here it's been a really good night lions kept me warm and at that point the king begins to worship and he says that he calls for all the people who falsely accused Daniel and their families and he says, I'm not having this. We're not dealing with this in my kingdom. And it says that he threw them in the lion's den. And the word says that before they hit the ground, that the lions broke their bones. They were already halfway dead before they ever, hit the, before they ever got to the bottom of the pit. And Daniel chapter 6, verse 25, Darius, King Darius says this, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree to all the land that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will not ever end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. At some point when we have a clear identity God begins to allow himself to be seen through us in a way that people begin to worship him and they see and they declare who he is how many kings how many times in just these these few chapters have people declared who God was because of what they saw in one man's life it wasn't just his life it was because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was he had a clear identity This morning, I want to conclude by asking a, a few questions. The question is this, is would you say that of your life, that you have a clear identity? Meaning, that you consciously consider who you are and whose you are as you face each day, you make your daily decisions and you deal with daily forms of opposition. I would tell you that I don't think that even a lot of believers really consciously contemplate their identity and who they are and whose they are as they navigate their daily lives. But Daniel did. 
let me preface a second question for you. Going back to my earlier quote from Dr. Um, Sam Rockwell, identity is who you think you are, image is what you want others to think you are, and reputation is what others really think you are. I said that in that, without a clear sense of identity and living in that vacuum, most people either project an image or they try to live up to a reputation. Second question is this. When you think about how you live your your life, does one of those phrases seem to ring true and hit home? Do you feel like that oftentimes you're either trying to project an image that you want people to believe, regardless of where it's at, work, home, otherwise, school, Or do you feel like you've been so labeled based on some reputation, whether it's it's true or not? I would tell you that people, look, I know what it is to have an identity, an image, and a reputation. And I know the difference of those in my life. See, in my life, I believe my identity is that I'm a child of God. I'm a good husband. I'm a pastor. I believe I'm a good communicator. And I believe that I've got an apostolic calling that I'm trying to learn to live within. My image, though, people would would be that I am an extremely good-looking pastor. (laughs) Sharp dressed in every way. Right? Knows the Word of God inside and out. And has this whole thing under control in such a way. But at times, I've lived with lots of reputations. At times and places, my reputation was he's the bean counter. He's the administrative pastor. I've lived with the reputation of, of he. He's the guy that is always saying no. I've lived with the reputation of the, um, that he's the guy who, who started this or he's the guy who can answer that question. And people had no idea of all the other things that were going on inside of me that God was using, that God was stirring up, that God was working to develop. I did, but they didn't. I can tell you this too. Trying to live out an image or up to a reputation exhausted me literally exhausted me and I would even go so far as to say this if you would say of your life you're just exhausted all the time this could be a culprit maybe it's not maybe it is some people might say well you just don't know the schedule I keep up but why do you keep up the schedule because you think you should because that's part of the image or the reputation the expectations people want you to well you got to do this and you got to live that and you got to pay the bills and you got to do all these things I would tell you that of all the people around Daniel they had the answer the same answers they thought they had to the reason that I preach this sermon is three reasons one is the Lord has been dealing with me personally over this for almost six months because he wants me 
as a leader to clearly know who I am and whose I am. The Lord always starts with a leader first. Second reason is, is because I want everyone who's here today, I want you to know clearly who you are and whose you are. And that that would begin to impact the way that you live with a clear sense of identity. The third reason is that when that begins to happen, we as a congregation will live, we will operate, we will function with a clear identity of who we are and whose we are. And when we do that, we will begin to impact a city. We will begin to impact the city because they will begin to see the benefits of clear identity living out in people's lives, but also living in a congregation who's experiencing his favor, who knows how to rightly divide the word, who knows how to stand, knows when to worship and what to worship and what not to worship. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This morning, I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads for just a few minutes. For me, in this sermon, there's no condemnation at all. I've tried to live really clearly communicate because for me this was an epiphany this was a real eye-opening wide-eyed understanding of not only a passage a a book within the, the bible in a way that i'd never understood it but i began to understand god and i began to understand myself in a whole new way and i want that for us i want that for each of you So this morning, I'm just simply going to pray for you before we leave and before we release. But I need to know, if you've been a part here, you know this is what I do. I need to know who I'm praying for. Simple as that. Nobody else needs to know, but I need to know. If something about what I said today, about clarity of identity, who you are and whose you are, rung true with you this morning, and you know that you needed to hear that that God wants to help you live in a free sort of a way that you you can live out these benefits if that's you this morning while everybody's got their heads bowed would you just put your hand up and put it back down and I'm going to pray for you wow wow thank you Lord this morning God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, I thank you. Lord, that we are your people. So God, we know whose we are. But God, sometimes I'm not sure that we know who we are. And so Lord, today, for everyone who's raised their hands, Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak to them Lord, that you begin to reveal to them, Lord, more 
Lord, I know when I first had my first conversation, it was only the beginning. And you began to keep, like I just heard things everywhere I went. I began to read things and in magazines and in my personal reading of the word. God, I know that you used all those things to begin to shape me reshape me and mold me and so god i pray for each one who raised their hands today god i pray that you would do that god that you would give them a clarity of identity of who they are god help them to understand lord lord who they are in you lord what the giftings and the talents that you've placed in their lives and what you want them to do with it god i pray that you would begin to allow them to see themselves the way that you see them and not the way that others see them as their reputation or not in something they've been trying to project because they don't know they didn't have a clarity God I pray that you would free us from trying to live up to image or reputation and that we would calmly live in who we are God I pray that you give us an, an, an astounding awareness of your presence on a regular basis to remind us of whose we are. God, I pray you would do that for individuals across this room, but God, that you would do that collectively for us so that we would be able to begin to impact and reshape this city, this community that we live in. God, that we'll begin to reshape it and reclaim it, God, in not just the, the worship space on Sunday, but God, in the grocery space on Monday and in the office space on Tuesday and the school space on Wednesday. Lord, today, I thank you for these, your people. God, I pray that this sermon would only be the beginning of a conversation that you continue to reveal to them. And I pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.